Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. I did a fist, a fist thing. What were you doing? It was an elbow. Jeez. I am. Uh, I'm Camille Foster, Freethink Media. I'm delighted to be here with you again. Uh, every single week, I'm delighted to be here with you all. Almost every week. Um, I am joined here in the studio by one uh, Michael Moynihan of Vice News. Came really late today. Oh, uh, Matt on, Welch. Man. He's wearing editor at large of Reason Magazine. Not, not just I'm, that he come late, but he's wearing a Billy Bush shirt. He is wearing. I a mean, Billy Bush t-shirt. why is your jealousy, you know, showing through <laughs> on air? Just because you want the Billy Bush T-shirt? Yeah, that was uh, one of uh, my producers who's great. And when we were uh, out in Salt Lake City, when it was when the it was when the the uh, the Pussy Gate uh, tape came out, and it looked like, and we were in we were in uh, Salt Lake City, and that was the entire delegation. There was the one said, you know, no Donald yep. Trump. Everybody. everybody Everybody from from Mike Lee all Jason the way down. Chaffetz. Jason Chaffetz. Jason uh, uh, uh What's his name? Uh, former ambassador to China. I'm just. I've been drinking. Huntsman. Uh, John yes. Huntsman. Yes. Uh, we want the hot dog. Man with many daughters. He was like, now one of them's really hot. And then he was like, no. And everyone, the governor. And so we decided that Billy Bush was the most important person in America that year because he also uh, upended the career of uh, drunk halfwit Ryan Lochte, yeah. wow. who is uh, some swimmer. And uh, then uh, when I got back to the office, I, got a, I had a Billy Bush T-shirt waiting on my desk. If, if Ryan Rock- Lochte was not past his like swimming prime, I, yeah. I don't think it would have been an issue for him. Uh, probably not. Yeah, I, I was supposed to say the thing about this. I'm being, a truther on that, by the way. What's that? A Ryan I think he Lockheed was wrong. Truther? That I think he was. I think he was wrong. Yeah, I think so. Oh, the the gas station thing happened just like he said. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly like he and said. And it's the Brazilians. Oh God, they're. A f- Unbelievable, filthy liars! It's, it's not surprising. Not surprising. Filthy that you liars. Would say that. Not yeah. at all surprising. Yeah. Um, How's that economy doing? Can you can <laughs> yeah. you give me a sense of what the Brazilian cop might have sounded like as he was apprehending Ryan Lochte? No, because it'll come out really, <laughs> it'll really offensive. I, I've been I, I've I've had about three or four vodkas before I came here, and yeah. now I came in. I got a Johnny Walker Black, a well, very large is... glass. So by about a ha- halfway through the podcast, I'll be I'll be doing that. No, I want to before every, everyone Camille has goes, alcohol in before front of them. Go Camille ahead. does his damn Friday thing night, here. late Friday night recording. Listen, we're doing this Friday night. Todd and Lindsay Friedman. Wow. Who are they? They are loyal, people. wonderful Americans. Wow. Yeah. I think they're okay. Americans, I assume. Tell me more. Hopefully Russians. Actually. They sent us this. Is that this, serious? This came yeah. to us. Thanks oh for the original God. thoughts and witty analysis. Oh, wow. my God. Consider doing a live show in Miami sometime. I'm holding up I, I, well, enough for, First of all, that is done. We've. She, <laughs> yeah. If it was that, which of the Freedmans was that? Who, who signed it? <laughs> Kinky. <A> Kinky Friedman. <laughs> One of the Freedmans. By the way, Comrade Friedman, we are coming to Miami because I don't need a lot of excuses to come to Miami. <laughs> True. And the one thing where I will make that decision post haste is when I'm being lubricated by the Johnny Walker Black. The middle Johnny Walker, which is the best Johnny Walker. Thank you. You go higher, it's no good. Lower, no good. Right in the middle. So Del- you're saying delicious. that Michelle Obama is wrong about all that? About what? We go high, they go low. Just go in the middle. No, go in the middle. With, yeah. the, with the Johnny Walker Black, it is the best drink. It's my drink of choice, by the way. It's true. That's when true. I get, when I'm not, um, when I go to a bar and I'm not drinking uh, wine or a beer, I go for the Johnny Walker Black, huh. one ice cube. D- huh. Let's let's be clear about what yeah. you do when you go in a bar because of your racial handicaps. What? what? Where is this going? I thought you were going to accuse me of something totally different. <laughs> <laughs> no, What's you you are a piece of trash yeah. from Massholia. Yeah, so yeah. you like you sure. will first drink. Uh, I, I'm, 
I think you start with a bud, and then Narragansett, and then, and then you yeah. like go with like the uh, the uh, 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 ginger what? ginger ale, Jack and Ginger. No, I don't do that anymore. Right. I have diabetes. Can't have it anymore. It's two very sugary drinks. But I just want to say before we get away, totally <laughs> derailed, I went back to uh, Massachusetts for, for Christmas, and I went to the 99. And anybody yes, from Massachusetts did. knows the, the double nines. Uh, <laughs> and I went in uh, to a nine, a very, very suburban place, and they were having a quiz, a quiz night. Oh, no. And um, it was one of the funny experience, funniest experiences of my life because, <laughs> because every, everybody in this place, it was like the questions were insane. It was like, you know, uh, what is the largest mountain in, you know, whatever state? And everyone's like, I don't know, fucking Kilimanjaro? Like, nobody knew anything, and it was awesome. And they were all great, and they were all funny. But, like, did you stand up and, like, every answer was sort of, I was dramatically off base. And and you saw these guys, I don't know, I think it's fucking Greece. Is that Greece? And everyone had their phones out. And there was one guy, like, one woman in a microphone who was like, no, telephone. <laughs> Don't use the Google to find out the answers. Oh, the answer, God. by the way, the answer to every political question was Buddy Cianci, <laughs> the great uh, mobbed up mayor of Providence. Anyway, but so so uh, yeah, I just had a Massachusetts thing, and I, and I had a couple of Johnny Walker blacks when I was doing that. It was did, very fun, very did, fun. Did you win? I mean, I didn't actually play because I came in in the middle. But but you know I I, I did pretty well. Yeah. You can still do you can still do well when you come in in the middle if, if the uh, opposition isn't isn't ready for you. Yeah, but oh um, by the way, thank you for this bottle. Who did this? Who is this sent to? This is this was sent to, to me. This collectively uh, to your to your address. Uh, Todd uh, Friedman uh, sent me a, a a note saying where what's the address? Your name is there. We're we're like married or something. No, they're oh. like uh, they're like uh, where where can we send something? But he happened to DM me. And so I said, send it to my address. So when I came home from France, Man. this bottle, which is a handsome you know, bottle. I, just, handsome I cannot get over how good people are sometimes. <laughs> that is really fantastic. And not I only that, that, but when I, when I, so I responded to him on Twitter and a bunch of our listeners are like, well, what's the official address for the fifth column? So Give it up. Start giving this shit out. <laughs> so, so now they're going to. Because do, I want my veins to just mountains be coursing of alcohol through amber colored uh, fluids. Mountains of alcohol at the uh, wow. New York Freethink offices. But Todd and Lindsay Friedman, God, you guys are great. Thank you yes, so much. Thank you, thank you really, very much. Thank you so much. In, in fact, um, I am definitely a little drunk, and I have only taken a oh sip. No, no, God. the half of what you poured in the glass is yeah. gone. It is gone. It okay. is inside of my person. I know. Um, Camille is the, the biggest lightweight. Yeah. Jesus so between Christ. between it like the alcohol, Foster Brooks after between like the alcohol sip. and the sleep deprivation, I am a, I'm a bit of a mess. And we are, are off to a, a very odd start because I, I was supposed to say that this is the your weekly rhetorical assault in the news cycle and the people who make it in ourselves. Uh, that the program might have strong language, but if you hadn't figured that out yet, you're not listening. I don't think we've lost um, yet. No, no. There's been swearing. It's right. fine. It's fine. I'm, right. I'm keeping track of those things. Oh, was, I was doing a Massachusetts accent. Half of it's going to be a curse It's going to be profanity. Um, I did mention who you guys are already, but we haven't decided so much what we'll talk about. Um, we have talked about the uh, Russians and the emails and the hacking and stuff uh, for a very significant portion of the last two dispatches sure. uh, over the course of the holidays. But it is still a thing. It's, um, it's a to, huge thing today. Today, today um, you actually had uh, members of the intelligence community yeah. briefing one president-elect Donald Trump here in New York City, sure. uh, telling him uh, that the Russians were totally responsible for this, that they mm -hmm. wanted him to win desperately, mm -hmm. uh, and that they've got the goods. Uh, and we are told that he was given a 
super duper top secret confidential version of a report that was actually released to the public a little earlier in the night. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I uh, I managed to thumb through that report. You mean uh, should, you mean the blog post, the, uh, the anti RT blog post <laughs> the by a seventy five year old man? And, yeah, and I, I thought should... that was a Michael Weiss story <laughs> that they just sent out to the in a PDF with yeah. less sophistication. But yeah. yes, to my yeah. well, the report is actually a little early because the members of the intelligence community were in fact testifying before Congress earlier this week, and they answered some questions. Of course, at the front end of all of these things, both the testimony and the report is a disclaimer that says, hey, look, we can't tell you all of the really, really good stuff that we've got um, or even the ways that we got it. Um, but we will tell you emphatically and in no uncertain terms that we know for sure that it was the Russians and the Russians did this so that Donald Trump would win. Um, the rest of the report, though, as you mentioned, gentlemen, is really, really strange. I mean, just like Yes, the Russians did this thing, but also, did you know that the Russians have a television station? Yeah, and that that television station is totally on social media, and that a lot of people. My like favorite it on bit Facebook. was that this television station often, <laughs> often runs stories that oppose fracking because of Gazprom and and Putin's oil interests, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, uh -huh. it's a state-run network, and it reflects the policies of the state, and that state in this particular example is uh, Russia. Which, which, also, uh, which also includes apparently supporting Occupy Wall Street by building uh, Facebook well, apps. Did you see this? And someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I, somebody told me this on the way out of the office, and it's a guy that I, that I, I trust. He used to be at the Washington Post, a very smart guy. And he said that, that um, apparently it was a bit of a buzz on Twitter, that a lot of this stuff was copied, the RT stuff was copied from a different report from 2012. Um, that would begin that. to make more sense. It, especially because they're naming shows that have been canceled. Yeah, Abby yeah. Martin is that that um, moron's one, name? Uh, yeah, another yeah. Uh, another uh, dude out there who just does not have a, a, a television show. Yeah, and I mean it's not really a television the, show. <laughs> the majority yeah. of the report that is publicly available is about RT. Yeah. So this is a report that is supposed to be about how uh, the Russians, led by Vladimir Putin, hacked into sensitive things during this election in order to tip the election. And so we're going to tell you about that by the Facebook like the self-reporting Facebook like numbers of RT. Sure. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And here's the thing about this. Um, it kind of drives me crazy is that it tells us that our intelligence community has no sense and no understanding of their kind of uh, critics in the media. If you have uh, evidence of this stuff and you can't release it, it's human, human intelligence, signals intelligence, mm -hmm. and that's going to be the case for about 99% of this. The Russians would never do this. They're too smart to do it. Americans wouldn't do it either. But what we do is we try to satiate the desire in the media for some sort of evidence to prove it. So we put out this thing that makes matters a thousand times worse for them. What is the first thing that Glenn Greenwald tweets after this? Oh, thank you, Intelligence Service. I tweeted the same thing. Uh, thank you, uh, Intelligence Services, for giving us a little uh, uh, backgrounder on what RT is. And I'm not, you know, quoting him in this, but this is essentially the sentiment from Greenwald and the people that like Greenwald and that 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 come from kind of his, um, you know, ideological uh, corridor. It doesn't help anyone when you say, "Here's the evidence." By the way, RT, yeah, yeah they, they they're kind of big fans of Putin. I mean, I mean, are you joking? Why this is an own goal, as they this say is, in the UK? This is does not not only doesn't help them, it actually hurts them. People who are identify themselves as grade A Putinophobes, and there's 
two people like that in this room of three people yeah. uh, here, but uh, <laughs> but people even more on the outside. John Bod Horitz, Julia Iofi, and I'm mispronouncing yeah. that, but whatever. Yeah. But people like who have tangled with Russia in the past will say things like, "If this came to me as an editor, I would have rejected it. It's just sure. it's garbage. No, it's por- poorly it, written. There's, there's no compelling. There's nothing not, in it. There's nothing in it. Yeah. Uh, and and it to me it it like recalled. As did another story uh, that came out in the New York Times today that uh, we might talk about later, uh, total bullshit scare story about how Donald Trump is firing all the ambassadors or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it reminds me of living abroad and you brush up with both ambassadors who tend to be dullards, uh, but more importantly, the political staff who are more interesting because they'll smoke, sure. smoke hash with you on, on their, their porches and and, uh, and I feel like you're telling us something. Maybe <clears throat> that's not just a common, but you know, like data point. People who work for the CIA don't have a special, especially if they live abroad. They don't have a special uh, kind of conduit into knowledge. This is everyone ha- who lives in America and hasn't lived abroad and hasn't like dealt with this kind of stuff, I think, has a romantic kind of Orson Welles, third man, uh, a vision of great, spy craft. Great, great movie. Great movie. Um, best, uh, uh, best Vienna movies. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to drink that. I'm drinking a Bud Light and a, that's and a, easy, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, a little trash to keep, uh, double fisting. That's keep, yeah, yeah. keep the yeah. mass out of mass <laughs> Um But let's imagine that you are a State Department personnel. You work at an embassy, which mm-hmm. means that basically you work for the CIA. You're yeah. in Foreign Service or whatever. You work for the CIA. Um, what can you do? You're in a small you're in. Uh, let's say you're in Turk Shittistan or you're in whatever uh, kind of country. <laughs> They know that you are an American, you have a diplomatic passport, and you, you, what are you going to do? Walk up to a factory and say, I would like to hear about your orders. It's yeah. like kind of hard to operate. And so what you do is you smoke pot with journalists. You kind of like try to do as much as you can with the computer, which is more than when I lived out there for sure. But like your access to real interesting knowledge, unless you're totally undercover, in which case that's a, a different scenario, it's actually embarrassing you don't know much at all and i've, I've talked to many people who've worked in in embassies and or in you know like a deputy charge of missions and this kind of stuff and that's what they complain about like we don't have access to good information so this report to me read like a really bad junior version yeah. of uh, like an amateur jv version of of that fact to, yeah to camille's point um there's a bit in this about the number of people that subscribe to RTs. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> Sub- subscribe to their 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 uh, YouTube channel. I had to deal with this a little bit um, in in the past couple of days because um, I have a. I, I'm also going to promote something right now. I have a piece on the on the HBO show tonight uh, that where I went and visited Alex Jones in his studio in Austin. It aired um, probably about 15 minutes ago from when he, we're recording. He's this. the Led Zeppelin bassist. Yeah, 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 yeah. John John Paul Alex Jones. And um, uh, it'll be online, and I'm going to tweet a link to it um, as soon as I leave here. But um, there's a bit in the in, in the top of this the story where I'm trying to establish who Alex Jones is for people who don't know. And one of the things that we use as a metric is the number of uh, YouTube uh, uh, subscribers, which is fairly high, and the number of total views of YouTube videos, which is 1.2 billion wow. of total views on – and this is the numbers from YouTube. And you have to back away and say, wait – well, it's 1.2 billion. That's a lot. But what percentage of those people are watching that video where Alex Jones says they put things in the water and it turns the frogs gay? <laughs> that is so it's good. My favorite. Um, it's my favorite thing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, in, in like terrible. You know, you I gave have, me a chill. I have, <laughs> 
damn it. Yeah. Nine eleven. It's like, I mean, this is, you know, Sandy Hook. Oh, Michael. God. And he's, yeah, I was with him and he was yelling at me about all this stuff. But most of the people that are watching RT, those numbers are totally meaningless. I mean, uh, in, uh, by the way, there's an interaction, and it's in the piece where Alex Jones is explaining to me that Vice is is uh, part of the uh, the uh, what was the, the there's an axis on this whiteboard that we happen to run into, and on one end is tyranny, and one end is freedom. On the freedom end, Alex Jones has Sputnik and RT and Infowars, and somewhere in the tyranny is Vice. Uh, so, <laughs> so that was quite a funny exchange, and we have the whole the whole thing is is going to be online too, but. You know, it's funny because these guys that listen to RT and see this as a sort of tribune and beacon of, of freedom and free media aren't serious people. This is not like like RT is not actually changing minds. There are people that go out there and say, well, it's getting an alternative viewpoint from RT. And smart people have said this to me. But I don't think this is something that we should be terribly concerned about. It's not sophisticated propaganda at all. And the people they have on are a rogues gallery of weirdos Skyping from their basement who you've never heard of and who are identified in the lower third, you know, the thing where it says your name and, and your affiliation. Come on, Larry a- King? As, uh, <laughs> Jesse well, Ventura? Well, uh, yeah. Tom Hartman? Yeah, t- <laughs> as I said. Um, <laughs> but they'd, they'd say, you know, like, say, you know, Pepe something or other. Pepe something. There's a guy named Pepe something who's like Brazilian and they have him on literally in his basement. Dude, the anti-Brazilian defamation league is going to be but, after but your the, ass. But you know, my, my point about this, the final point about this is that is that they don't have a huge amount of influence, but you see RT and you see Alex Jones, and they they're a, a divided mind on this, where they say the intelligence services know nothing. These are the people that gave us the WNBD reports. They were wrong, Michael. They're wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. They're wrong. I, I totally agree with you. And then at the same time, the kind of the the the, the intelligence services are behind. Everything that yes. happens. Yeah, yeah. I was in Alex Jones' studio the day, about 10 hours after the Turkish, the, the Russian ambassador to Turkey was shot. And we don't have any information. <clears throat> in the art gallery, yeah. Yeah, no information Terrifying. on this. And Jones is explaining to me <clears throat> that it's a false flag. And I said, look, you know, it strikes me that you might have written this script before. The only one who's written the script before <laughs> is you. It's a false flag. You have no information. And they are ubiquitous. They are everywhere. They can do everything. Anything. The American government is the, the hidden hand behind everything. Yeah, they're hy- hyper competent. They they know everything. They have until all the, they're all not the competent at all. And, until you find. And out by everything. the way, the competent the competency required <clears throat> from the Russian government or or you know a, a sort of surrogates of the Russian government to get a, 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 a sort of you know drooling moron like John Podesta to click on a link to change his password. It says like, eh, hello, Mr. Sirs, your password's <laughs> totally wrong. How about you click the buttons and do new passwords? And he's like, oh, I got to do that. Got to get that. Got to change that password. And by the way, the one thing, there is some fake news out there when, when everyone said, uh, hey, did you hear that John Podesta's password was password? Uh, there's no way of knowing that. And it was Julian Assange. Um, who is a fraud and a phony, uh, who actually said that. And do we have any confirmation of that? No, everyone's reported that. And there's really no way of him knowing that unless somebody told him directly, the people who hacked it. Can we we talk about how much that uh, Camille wants to make love to Julian Assange? I I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know that that's... I'm just trying to create conflict and drama. The the Australian Jackie Rogers Jr. We don't need to do that. Before we we move away from... uh, from (laughs) We're not moving. 
woven away from the hacking and Russian stuff. At some and point, your love we will. Julian Assange. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. Julian Assange is, is uh, well. No, I, mean, I, I, I think there's there, there'll be time <laughs> enough. There'll be time enough for Julian Assange. Um, Got to get out of this see? fucking embassy. But the jeez. Uh, <laughs> It's like, come on, man. You love Julian Assange. You love him. You're like the Sean Hannity of this room. During the during the congressional hearing Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, James Clapper, the very first recommendation that comes out of his mouth after he talks about, you know, his long career in uh, in the intelligence community as he's happy, it's almost over. um, The very first thing out of his mouth is uh, he expresses concern about all of the uh, encryption available to individuals from private companies. Is that true? Yeah, totally true. The very first thing. Um, and that it was making it harder for them to do their jobs. I hope. Um, and then the sort of third concern, if I remember correctly, the order, um, at least a little later, little later in the conversation, he starts to talk about the responsibility of corporations to do more in terms right. of national security, which, in, in fact, these are the two, the, these two things are one and the same. What he wants is for private companies <laughs> to give governments of the world, particularly the United States. Um, but one can imagine that if the United States has it, other countries will figure out how to do it as well. Backdoors into encryption technology, which will ultimately make it easier for them to keep us safe, um, ostensibly. Although what is likely to happen is that these kinds of deficiencies would actually make all of us more vulnerable. This um, has been to, true. To this has been true What's since the point of encryption. If everybody has the keys, it is. It is so odd, and it's it's so <laughs> odd because that was that was he was the second person to speak, and I, I can't remember who the first person was to speak. Um, but one of the earlier things that had been said was, I mean, there was a, a lot of conversation about the need for resiliency in our infrastructure, and they kept coming back to this theme. And I, I just don't know how you can have these two things. Um, this this perspective on the part of the intelligence community, perhaps not broadly, but certainly in terms of the leadership of the intelligence community, lots of prominent voices calling for companies to to create backdoors into their technologies, defective technology, essentially to build it in that way. Um, and at the same time, call for us to have a, a more robust, more resilient system. What, what and, I, and I imagine that that's, those are the only ways that we can get resilient. You guys, you guys understand this technology in ways that I don't. I'll just inject this and then let you uh, take, take it over from there. But we have been having this conversation nationally since 19-fucking-94 or three with a clipper chip. Yeah. The first Clinton administration was all about we needed the golden key into the tech thing uh, so that we can get in there and make sure that the bad guys aren't doing things. And it was dumb then. They tr- they spent a ton of money back then trying to create this thing. And the people, Matt Blaze among them on Twitter, I recommend people follow him, um, who was part of that process at that time. They spent all this money in this time and concluded, my God, what a bad idea. This is anti-resiliency. And the other thing I'll say is John McCain, Similarly, although separately, uh, had a uh, kind of a slip of the tongue in this. And I both appreciate what he did in bringing this uh, to discussion and also his he, he was so drowning in his own hyperbole. It was crazy. He was talking mm-hmm. about like this was an act of war right. against the United States, which is nonsense. It, 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 it's complete nonsense. But he was uh, saying to uh, James Clapper, a man who has lied under oath in front of Congress about who and they are and are not spying on, meaning the American people. Um, uh, he was saying, uh, 
wouldn't you say that it's a bad idea to, you know, have to report to all these different congressional uh, committees? It's just like stovepiping. But no, wait, maybe it's not like stovepiping. Those are two opposite things in this in the similar way that having resilience and then having like a, a magical golden key are actually opposing ideas. The concept of stovepiping, which is a single pipe that goes up from an oven where you have all the information and then having overlapping jurisdictions of responsibility and competition. Those are opposite ideas. And it's a, a great example of how the centralizers who are trying to imagine America's response to what ever just can't think straight about yeah. basic concepts and it was very frustrating to watch during this i wanted to take this congressional hearing very seriously uh-huh. because i share the underlying concern about putin trying to intervene in various things but the it was a bunch of people sitting around talking about cyber war yeah without irony without air quotes and by the way you have donald trump who um who said during the campaign in one of his you know, most fantastic blithering idiocies about fighting ISIS. He's like, we have to just turn off their internet. And like, <laughs> we're talking about a guy who's like, you know, I don't believe uh, this uh, stuff from the NSA and from the intelligence communities about about hacking. And by the way, can we just turn off their internet? And that like, came like, like it's a, like it's a switch. Let me jump. Uh, let me jump in. That that came in, and because that got a huge amount of of headlines, and it should have. But that came in less than twenty four hours. And he said, like the people will complain about this. That these are foolish people. These yeah, are right? people. That's right. Um, foolish people. Th- that came less foolish. than foolish. <laughs> Less than 24 hours after Hillary Clinton saying uh-huh. we're going to have to get the private sector to yeah, shut sure. down I their remember, means yeah, of communication. I, I that too. And you're going to yep. have some people complaining about, sure. oh, the First Amendment. Totally like she said dr- exactly the same. Yeah. Thing. She, That's right. Exactly the same it, thing. Yeah. In the 24 hours. It is. It is interesting. I mean, I, I think there is so much conversation about attribution here. And I think that's. That's fine and well and good. What do you mean by attribution? Attribution attribution for the hacks. Who is responsible for for having carried these hacks out? Um, I personally do suspect that the Russians probably had something to do with this. This is a a matter of my gut talking, however, and just suspect – I suspect given the stuff that we've seen. Exactly. Yes. Not so much anymore. My rotator cuff is jacked up. So yeah. I haven't been working out. Wow. He's like the Bob but, Stanley of this uh, podcast. <laughs> the steamer's Bob Stanley. But 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 obviously, and, and we've the talked, Mark Clear. Sorry, he's a Mark, as my dad called him, Mark Clear the basis. Yeah. But beyond but beyond <laughs> but beyond attribution, I mean, the stuff that really seems to matter here is the are the actual consequences of an attack like this. Like, were there any consequences? Um, what you do in response to it, and what yeah. you can actually do to meaningfully prevent these things from happening? Would you going actually forward? describe it as a, either one of you as an attack? I, well, first of all, I wouldn't describe it as a hack. I mean, this is, I mean, if we talk about the sort of nomenclature of this, you know, on the Podesta thing, particularly, this was spear phishing. This was, was, this was what, what they, you know, they sent an email and they clicked a link. Hacking to me is like, you know, I'm going to try, I'm going to look at this box and I'm going to try <laughs> to get into that box in this sort of way where I look at the code and I'm going to drop something in there. And this is basically you click a link and it's just masquerading as something else and you put your, your password in and you get the password right there. It's like not a sophisticated hack in any way, well, but you're dealing with unsophisticated people about technology. These are people that when they, Hillary Clinton has a, 
email server that's like running off of a, you know, an Atari 2600 in fucking upstate New York. They're like, I don't understand why this is bad. You dumb shit. Of course. How what, are you serious? <laughs> like I could if I figured out if I found out what your email address was and I could get the the what like the associated DNS numbers are like where this where this, you know, this is the the server's attacked to. I could probably get into that in a couple of weeks. And I'm not very sophisticated <laughs> on these things. So, I mean, is it a hack? Well, yeah, I guess it's a hack. It's, we've, it's, we've brought it's, we've broadened this definition in a way. It's like it's a hack. It's like it's just a stupid spear phishing attack, specifically on the Podesta thing. I don't know about the other stuff, uh, where it's really not terribly smart. And they did this, and it's like it's their own damn fault. Was it and to, to the attribution thing? Was it uh, the Russians? Well, I mean, I trust that the number of people here that are saying that we have great information, and to by the way, to make the claim that it was ordered from the top is stupid to say publicly if you're not going to give any evidence. I think that's exactly right. And the reason yeah. it's stupid is because that, I suspect, is true. And when you find out that's true, you're going to have guys from the FSB and the GRU combing to figure out, how do we know this? How do they know this? Because they do know this. Like Vicky Newland, who was, was the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, the Russians released a call of her talking about Maidan and talking about Ukraine and talking about American support for the anti uh uh, uh, Yanukovych, Yukashenko, uh, uh, people in Maidan. They had, they, they had recorded her call. By the way, this is bad tradecraft from the Americans in a way that you're talking on an unsecured phone. The Russians are hoovering up all this. They have the capabilities are very, very good at this stuff. Do they have the means? Yes, they do. Do they have the desire? Well, what I just said is the reason for it. They are so annoyed at American support in Ukraine for the anti-Russian factions who ultimately lost. And also in Georgia. In and Georgia. Like it, the near it, yeah. abroad uh, color revolutions. Yes. Well, yeah. the, the fact that there are American troops doing exercises in Estonia now, this annoys them. They have every reason to want to screw with Hillary Clinton. You know, that reset didn't go very well, right? So if we're going to ask, uh, do they have the means? Yes. Do they have um, the desire? Of course. Do they have the reason? And they're, and they're sort of broader kind of Weltanschauung. Do they have a reason? Of course they do. So everything in the Occam's razor kind of view of this tilts towards the Russians. The uh, intelligence services, look, these are leaky organizations. If they are making this up, if they're yeah. just making this up, it's not a good look for them. They're not going to just make it up. I trust them in this. But yeah, people but say, my God, what a shitty report. It's oh, my God. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's embarrassing in every way. But everyone says, well, 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 hold on. We're, 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 we're like, let's let's look back, which, by the way, was addressed in their report in one kind of clause. Let's book, look back to WND. There's a little there's a little clause that nobody notices this where they said our intelligence capabilities have been greatly upgraded in the past 10 years. What happened 10 years ago uh, <laughs> or whatever they say in the I last, missed, you know, that. that's good. Uh, but the thing the thing about that's this good is to know. it's good to know. Yeah. And the thing about this is the fundamental misunderstanding of the WMD um, reporting and the WMD intelligence, you know, in air quotes, is that we have internalized the Bush lied people died that it was a made-up thing. Did they thumb the scale? Yeah. Did they? Yeah, of course. Did they ignore things that might have contradicted their sort of preconceived conclusions? Sure. We also assume two things that are kind of wrong, is that the intelligence agencies were all neocons that were in line with the Bush administration. That's not true. 
Were there people thumbing the scales to say, let's get this intelligence? I mean, I mean, to, to, to not understand that their is work totally was, crazy. Their work was cherry picked. Their work was cherry picked for sure. But was the intelligence there suggesting this? Yes. Yeah. Did it? Did, did the did the BND in Germany agree with this? Yes. Did MI five and MI six agree with this? Yes, they France. did. France. Everyone had the same intelligence. Was Saddam Hussein better than us in in, in Turkey? Absolutely. When Saddam Hussein is pulled out of a spider hole into Crete, and when he is debriefed, there's a guy who's a, was one of the guys intelligence agents who wrote a book recently, really just blasting the Bush administration and the intelligence community and what they found out after. They pulled him out. What's the name of the book? I can't remember. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I've been drinking. Doesn't work. But one of the things about this is in, in Hussein is like not terribly surprised that the Americans think this. He's not because this was a deception that was designed to deceive the Iranians and the Americans. It was part of a deception. We fell for it. The thing is, in in the kind of scope of what we're talking about in Russia and the and these quote unquote hacks, is that you know they lied to us before. No, they didn't. They really didn't. There was a cherry picking of information, which is what everybody does in intelligence all the time, of course. Yes, of course. But the intelligence that existed that suggested that, that, that Iraq had WMDs was not, I, and, and I'm not saying it was good. I'm, not saying it was, I'm just saying it was not made up out of whole cloth. They lied to us then. They're going to lie to us news. then. It wasn't fake news. It was bad news. And it was, you know, curveball, this fake defector that ends up in Germany. Everyone ends up believing him. This is they're they're willing themselves into believing this stuff. That is true, but it's not made up out of whole cloth. In this idea of like, well, we they they made it up in the past. They're going to make it up this time. It's not the same thing. Camille, I want to know what you. I mean, you're reading the this crappy report. I think it's I think uh-huh. it's just a crappy report. Sure. So you're more skeptical about the underlying claim than we are. Although you're not, you know, totally um, yet on uh, Putin's payroll, but like. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what? How does that affect the way that you look at the overall issue when you see that they come up with a pretty crappy report? I, I am about I am, RT. I am. Uh, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical by nature. I'm. I am not sort of. Uh, I'm not cynical about this. I don't have the sense that the that the federal government is working overtime to try and deceive me, and that that is the reason why the really? the, the testimonies are happening. No, no, that's not the sense that I have. Um, I, my sense, I suppose, is a lot like what Michael described. I I worry about sort of bureaucratic inertia. I worry about the the a predisposition towards finding a particular solution to finding a particular problem uh, before you you go to do it. Part of the reason why I want the disclosures um, are because for me, it's always about forcing people to show their work so I can have some sense of how you are reaching the conclusions that you're reaching. Um, But what, when they, what what about uh the situation where they can't show? Sure. And in some cases you can't, um, but, I mean, def- but 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 define can't. I mean, here here is a situation where better. I mean, here's but, but no. Here's a situation where well, here's a situation where the NSA, for example. I mean, there have been disclosures. We do know about many of the programs that exist, and yeah. quite frankly, those programs existing and even people knowing that they exist is perhaps a form of deterrence. And I don't, I don't, I'm not, I am not confident, right, that keeping those things a secret necessarily makes anyone much better off and as you mentioned if might, you are if willing human to disclose though it if, might make that person better but you off. could very well say that we have in fact human intelligence we have this as i said they haven't even made an attempt to do that so far as i'm concerned um so the the case that's been made publicly to to sort of suggest that it's russia i think is 
been somewhat thin. Okay, so they um, so, so let's say this. And I'm going to give you a scenario. But, but for me, yeah. but 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 as I was saying before, like the attribution isn't nearly as important to me. Um, the attribution and even the the sort of crusade to figure out what the motivation of the Russians was, um, because that is what the report really that we got hard. today yeah, that's was yeah. primarily <laughs> yeah. about. But but this is what Why I'm saying. I, I, but that's what I'm saying. It's just not interesting. Like yeah. what what For really is interesting yeah. is how much how much does this matter? Is this of great consequence? Is it of grave consequence to America? And the answer is, well, frankly, no. There That's is not, the better question. There is not For any sure. real evidence that this had any significant That's effect the on the question. election. I, sure. These emails, for for all of what the Clinton administ- um, the Clinton campaign was saying while she was running, oh well, we don't know if these things are true. Uh, well, apparently, it looks like they they are. That this is just the truth. I and was. Uh, you wrote those emails. You guys didn't have great security at the DNC. Yeah, you had sure. a private email server. Most of these, cons- most of the controversies that you found yourself embroiled in were not a consequence of the Russian hacks or the Podesta emails. You lost the election because you are a crappy candidate. I got a, I, a question. I want to throw to Michael here. Um, I was uh, uh, interacting with Rosa Brooks today, former L.A. Times sure, columnist, sure. and then uh, wrote a really interesting book this past uh, year whose name I also forget. I think so I once did a blogging heads with her. Could like, be. Ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, she worked in Obama's uh, State Department. Uh, I think she Isn't a, her mother Barbara Ehrenreich? Yeah, weirdly. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, her foreign policy criticism has been really interesting ever since she left the foreign policy establishment, as you can well imagine. And she's been a very big critic of the Obama administration. Ever since yeah. she left, and uh, today uh, she blogged out or t- uh, tweeted out something that's very kind of normal in leftistan and and in many uh, corners of rightistan as well, along the lines of, "Well, what does Russia really have on Trump? Like, what what, what could they know about it?" And my response to her was like, "Okay, we can keep looking for that thing, the magic, you know, golden nugget underneath a pile of clothes over there in in a corner." Or we can just ask ourselves, like, maybe he has an alignment of interest. Maybe yeah. it's, it's just kind of normal. And what's actually scarier? What is scarier is is that they have they know that he owes one point three billion dollars to Gazprom or, or or some affiliate, or that he actually kind of believes in sixty percent of Vladimir Putin's kind of worldview out there. And I kind of find the latter to be a more interesting line of, of discussion. Yeah. Right? Far more. I mean what what we did in the Cold War is that you would have guys that's why there were so many people like if you look at the Cambridge spy ring, the Cambridge five, you know, Burgess McLean and Kim Philby, famously British spies that were working for the Russians, uh many of them got away. Kim Philby died in Moscow. Um there are a lot of people there that were gay men. Because it was a time when, you know, being gay was, especially in the UK, was actually illegal. Um, and you had something hanging over somebody that was working within Whitehall, working within the establishment, and you could lord that over them. You usually do that for people who have access to information. You don't usually do that over presidents or leaders of state or something. And especially with Donald Trump, who has so many things that are so, like, in the kind of, you know, pantheon of American presidents, are reprehensible, that are positions that are, you know, foul, says things that are foul, has backwards, running a, a university <laughs> that is essentially a late night infomercial Ponzi scheme. What on earth could the Russian intelligence services have on this man that has not already been made public? To your point, it is definitely that he likes strongman politics and he really, really puts himself in opposition for so long. Well, it'd be interesting to see four years from now, three years from now, when Barack Obama is in the rearview mirror, 
that didn't actually happen in the Obama administration. Bush was never in the rearview mirror. He was always like, well, Bush gave us, we inherited this legacy. So when he's in the rearview mirror, what will Trump do? Because his Russia policy is so much as just positioned as in opposition to what the current administration is doing. The current administration, and it's particularly Hillary Clinton's uh, State Department, annoyed the Russians so much that he came up and said, you know what? She's a criminal, you know, uh, you know, Hillary for for prison and the rest of it. And, you know, I'm on your side uh, because Trump is so unsophisticated politically that the reason he we've talked about this in the show before, the reason he can't disavow Alex Jones, for instance, or, you know, David Dugger, he just say he'll hedge on it. He wants their support. He you know, I'll, I'll disavow them later once I'm secure in the Oval Office, I will, you know, not really back away from this stuff. And one of those things is he does that stuff on the geopolitical stage, where in opposition to to to, to Barack Obama, I will take the other side. I'm trying to think of one foreign policy position that matches Obama's. What that he has what that he has said publicly that overlaps with the current president's view on foreign policy. Well he he likes he likes drones. Um, and he wants to continue Not the pirate really. I mean, he's, policy he, on. He said that I want to bomb the shit out of ISIS because I, yeah. I don't think Barack Obama's doing it. Well, he says he wants to. Well, he wants to do more. Then, so you're saying he yeah, likes, well, to, he likes mean, drones even more. Yeah, well, well but, I mean, no, if, uh, if Obama, he's, they're both, they're both he, he makes critical. the argument that uh-huh. Obama lead, that lead from behind, yeah. quote unquote. And so, therefore, like, look, if you, he's if, also a fan of secrecy. He's, if, he's he talks about that a great deal. But if as, you as if you say this on a foreign policy, I guess the president pretends to like transparency, so that's different. Yeah, they always do that. But I mean, if you if you say that. The, I mean, think of what he says about Libya. You know, he goes so far to be one of the the conservative, quote unquote, conservative versions of lefty Cuba apologists. The number of conservatives who said to me, Alex Jones actually said this to me, you know, before, before, uh, you know, Barack Obama, free health care. They had free health care. Women had rights in, in, in so Libya. Weird. And I'm like, look, you are making the Cuban argument, <laughs> which is like everything that exists outside of like, you know, these couple of data points like Cuba, but blah. blah. But he said he has said the same thing about Libya over and over. Total disaster. What can you believe that they got involved? Can you believe? Oh, by the way, you should get involved in Syria. Why? Because Barack Obama didn't get involved in Syria. I mean, he says this. We have to bomb the shit out of ISIS. We'll take the people and make these pens, these pens, these safe zones in the middle of the yes. country. Yeah, yeah. They're ringed with fences. Yeah. But they're going to be everyone going to be in there playing, you know, guiros well. and like, you know, I mean, he, he his, I he's an opposition th- thinker. I think there's a there's an important. Uh, element of commonality uh, in the two figures, in uh, Donald Trump and Barack Obama. And it can't be expressed by either, and it hasn't been expressed by either. But both of them are advertisements for the concept of the era of American omnipotence and self self-regarded omnipotence is over, right? So as a president, an American president, you can never admit anything remotely close to this. You can do versions of it. So Obama's version is no more dumb wars, only smart wars from now on, even though mm. Libya was mm. dumb as a fucking box of hair. Yeah. Uh, and and <laughs> is that a, like a Southern California expression? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Long no, Beach? A, it, it makes, it does it makes a lot of sense. It's instantly gettable. Uh, uh, and uh, and 
you know, Trump's version of it is more like a Jacksonian kind of thing. Like we're losing everywhere. We got to like uh, take their oil and this kind of stuff. But he will also say that we screwed up because we intervened in all these places where we don't even understand the local population in which he is totally a thousand percent right. Sure. I mean, keep in mind, he went down in South Carolina, a contested primary that he absolutely needed to win. And he railed against the Iraq war and the Bush family. Mm-hmm. But in Matt, particular. that's bravery. It's political bravery in some way or political audacity in some way. But it's not being right because it's like saying I was right about the 2004 World Series because I told you who won in 2008. Sure. I mean, he, I don't believe he's right. There is he because he said before when he was on Howard Stern, you know, he's like, you know, hey, Iraq's a pretty good idea. No, Maybe but it's I, a bad idea. I, I, th- I think it's I think it's uh, my God, I'm defending Donald Trump. Go oh for it. Do it. In front of Michael Moynihan. Oh, right? Against Michael Moynihan. Scumbag. But no, I mean, <laughs> he's he's providing a post facto like analysis of it and saying that this was wrong. And he's right sure, about that. Sure. It was wrong. Um, and and he ran on that in a risky moment and won on that in a risky moment. It wasn't that risky. It wasn't that risky, yeah. but like whatever. Um, I mean, every, uh, every, but I mean, but in, yeah. in either case, just to, to make the point is that the Obama version, you can't totally admit that America can't solve all the problems because an American president can never admit that. And Donald Trump is never going to quite admit that. The way that he gets about it is that, like, we went to places where we didn't know what we were doing. Nation building is wrong. But both senses uh, are ways of coming to the same ultimately unsatisfying but actually more realistic conclusion. My problem with Trump, among all these things, besides his temperament and a bunch of other judgment calls here, is that. Okay, so this is a movement towards realism because it is true that America, unlike the dreams of Max Boot, unlike the dreams of a lot of conservatives who hate Donald Trump and John McCain, for one, who are like super hyper interventionists, like America just needed to do X and Syria wouldn't have happened, which is fantasy. It's total, in my opinion, and one hand, I disagree, is total fantasy. But um, so there's that. But uh you need to get to a different place of realism. And the problem with Donald Trump's version of realism is that he's a liar um, and he is not interested in the truth. And you can't be a realist and be an apologist for the person who in Europe is engaged in the first war of irredentism and aggression since World War II, right? So, like, a lot of the people who claim to be realists and claim to be flocking to Trump's mantle, and there are a lot of old-time Republicans, Reagan administration hands, people Henry, like... Kate, Henry, Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger, people yeah. like KT McFarland, who all of us know, uh, yeah. who, who are like, okay, he, he might be the... Faith Whittlesey, you know, I'm wearing, wearing or was wearing on my coat, like a Swiss American, American Foundation, Swiss Foundation yeah. uh, uh, button. Uh, Camille and I both went to Switzerland based on former ambassador Faith Whittlesey. She's a great woman. She's excited about the Trump presidency because it's a, it's a, a possibility to re uh, in store kind of a realism in American foreign policy. And that is a possibility. The problem is there can't be realism if you're not being realistic. And when you're not being realistic about the actual threat about Vladimir, just like the actual analysis of what Putin is doing, let alone other people, then that can't be realism. Even if you are coming to right or righteous-ish conclusions about how not to apply American force. If you're not realistically grappling with how the world works, it can't be realism. Not bad for a drunk, by the way. That yeah, was a little drunk. It was a little scary. You know what? It was a little That's how we get there. That's how we get there. But can I ask Camille a question? Go yeah. for it. I mean, Camille is a guy who is definitely more um, sympathetic. <laughs> energetic. 
rich. Um, he has better Handsome. shape. He's got better, nicer shoes. He's better looking than me. Uh, but Camille, this and is okay. go on. So, so uh, there's been a lot of people trying to say, well, Donald Trump's foreign policy after the Bush oh, years, God, but it can't, it can't get, it can't get much worse. I'm, you know. So here's the thing: Donald Trump has has praised Vladimir Putin's strength, and he uses those terms because he thinks like a child. So he said, you know, <laughs> uh, Barack Obama is a weak leader. Don, Donald Vladimir uh, 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 very strong, very strong. We love had, this. Guy. He's had tough things. He's had nice things to say about a number of disgusting, brutal dictators. Yeah, sure. And but yeah. but but one thing he's talking about his strength. He's talking about foreign policy strength. Uh-huh. So if when you see these people. The kind of um, I don't I don't want to say Lou Rockwell, but because th- he's an insignificant person. But these, I mean, in the in the broad scheme of things, I mean, totally I suspect in- any 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 prominent libertarian that you would is, mention is an insignificant. Is, but he's particularly insignificant. on the national stage. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah, is somewhat yeah. insignificant. Yeah, he's, go ahead. he's sort of he's sort of picking the, uh-huh. the bugs out of his beard and eating them right now. He's not a significant <laughs> person. <laughs> so when you have a, a in, in, the, the insignificance, let's call it the basket okay. of insignificance. Okay. When you have these people who are so excited and they're just like you know you know rubbing coconut oil in their upper bodies because <laughs> they're so excited about Donald Trump's foreign policy, and he's praising the man who is pummeling. From the air, Aleppo. Uh-huh. The strength that is being exerted by Vladimir Putin, by Donald Trump's own kind of estimation, he wishes the United States would be that strong, would be would be doing the same things as, by his own admission, bombing the shit out of ISIS. This is the the locution of our incredibly smart William F. Buckley type conservative that we have in, in, in what Donald is, Trump. What is the question? So the question <laughs> is... Is this a foreign policy? I know that you've had guarded optimism about this. His guarded optimism about what? About, about Donald Trump's foreign policy. I haven't, I haven't had no, guarded yes, optimism. you have. No, Come I really on. haven't. Yes, no, you have. listen, my, my perspective. But, but if, if, if he wants to be, if he's praising Vladimir Putin, whose foreign policy is to carpet bomb yeah. Aleppo, I can't, should I can't, we be doing that? Is that defend, what we want? I can't defend, and and sometimes I can explain it, but I can't defend a perspective that I don't have. I have, I have zero reason to be optimistic about the Trump administration. And I haven't been. Listeners, go um, back and go back and listen. And, and, and what you'll hear is you'll hear Camille Foster explaining respectability politique, which is my argument, my perspective, not mine alone, not original to me, but pioneered and made better and perhaps smoother by me. Um, that what Donald Trump is, is met in many ways, not dissimilar from a number of other candidates for office and presidents who have been in office. They have been dishonest and deceitful. They have promised one thing while, in fact, pursuing another end altogether. Um, And quite frankly, they have engaged in all sorts of disastrous foreign policy um, adventures and actions uh, after promising to not do that, after promising to have a humble and small foreign policy. But isn't he kind of obliquely promising the same thing? Like, I want to be more like Vladimir Putin. Well, I don't don't know that he is saying that. I think what he said... I I, I admire his strength. In either case... And bombing children in Aleppo. Yeah, I haven't heard him. I I don't think that's a a thing he actually said. He said he likes bombing children. That's why I said obliquely. Yeah, I don't think he said that. Look, I certainly think that it's a bad idea to get into bed with with Vladimir Putin. Um, I I can't speak to that. But as as I was saying, in terms of my perspective on Trump, I I think if there is any silver lining here, and you can go back and find me saying this, the silver lining is that perhaps Americans will find themselves 
entirely disgusted with the principle, the prospect, the proposition that these particular people in these offices actually have the solutions to your problem. Perhaps they will learn to be skeptical of the the omnipotent, uh, um, unlimited power of the executive branch. Perhaps they will decide that it is important for Congress to stand up to the to the uh, to the president of the United States and say, hey, you know what? The the foreign policy thing that you wanted to get into? Nope, not going to happen. We're going to push back. I would like to see a great deal more friction between the press and government. I would like to see a great deal more friction between the various branches of government, because I think that America is better when there isn't a great deal of lubrication, making it easy for people to pass and enact laws that may, in fact, be well-intentioned but have nasty consequences. Um, so that is that is the optimism I have for the Trump administration. Not that I think things will go well, um, because, quite frankly, I do not. I don't suspect they'll go well. I just can't um, not, imagine. Not, 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 not on purpose. Well, not I mean, let's just before we move on to something, let's just let, let's just think about how Donald Trump views American power. And this is a man who enjoys power and he um, praises. I, I, I suspect they all do. Yeah, I know. But he praises Vladimir Putin for his strength uh-huh. in office, which is an illiberalism. It is an expansionism that Americans don't really think about. They say, oh, you know, like, he's not going to do it like Barack Obama and screw up Libya and be like he, ta- he denounces George Bush in Iraq. And he's denounced. He, he's praising the man who is, you know, uh, cleaved half of Ukraine off and brought it back into his orbit, who's invaded Georgia. And we can talk about the sort of who who started that whole business, but he ended up in Abkhazia and South Ossetia taking those part of the greater Russian empire. He's the man who saw American weakness, quote unquote, in, in the Middle East and said, you know what I'm going to do? Do you think, I mean, Vladimir Putin didn't give two shits about the people of Syria. It's time for me to exert Russian strength and power. Uh-huh. We were humiliated in 1991, that word that keeps coming back with the Russians, humiliated by, you know, having a, a, a silly and sinister system from 1917 to 1991. And after this, we're going to get our kind of mojo back. And Donald Trump admires that. So what does that mean for the United States? I think Donald Trump Trump says any number of gross and stupid and thoughtless things. He he just does. I mean, how does he project American power? We open the show talking about those things. So I'm I'm not one. I suspect that when he says that Vladimir Putin is strong, he is not referring to any number, any one of those. I don't think he's aware of any of them. But but that's which which is actually going to be my next statement. Um, So there may be any number of reasons to be very, very concerned about Donald Trump. But as I said before, when you have someone in office who has a perfect pedigree and is very articulate and seems really skilled and knowledgeable and and has all of this foreign policy experiments experience. And they say, you know, what? we're going to use smart power and we're going to go to this particular part of the world and we're going to fix everything. It'll be fine. Trust but what's me. his dumb power? Or look like? if you have a lunatic who everyone regards as totally stupid, who do you let like actually give you a lobotomy? Like, which one of those people do you trust to carry out this thing versus push back and, and fight back? But does does anyone... I, I don't but, know. But don't you... like uh, what, That is a... Look, it's a thin silver lining, yeah. but that is the silver lining. But what concerns, that is the best argument what I have. What concerns me is to see so many kind of quizzling conservatives that, that the second that Donald Trump becomes president, they abrogate their supposed responsibilities to their ideology, which is what they've made their careers and their lives yes, on. Yes, totally. And I have to see Sean Hannity... In the 
fucking Ecuadorian embassy. Like, you know, like he hung his lacrosse stick on the way in. And this guy from Long Island comes up there, this half wit, like all these other guys. And everyone's giving each other a blowjob of that, you know, before, by the way, before like the day, like a couple of weeks before, think about this. This is the fucking moment we're in. Half a couple weeks before, Sean Hannity is in the Ecuadorian embassies eating fucking pupusas with Julian Assange. You know what's happening? He's being interviewed in the same blowjob way by John fucking Pilger. By what? John Pilger. What? That happened? Yes, but these, I mean, these are the same people. No, wait. Who? Like, They're the same people. Hannity? Julian Assange. Was no, no, no. Okay. Ju- Julian Assange getting the blowjob interview from, from Hannity and then dial that clock back and he's getting a handjob interview from John Pilger, but this is but a this Soviet is, stooge in the seventies. But this is everyone. But no, this I know, is I, mean, this I, is what I was really, does. really disappointed. And I emailed eh, not everyone. Why were you disappointed? No, though? no, I missed. This is something else. I was disappointed. I emailed a mutual friend of ours. I know Tucker Carlson. I like Tucker quite a bit. He's very fun. He's a very funny guy. He's a brilliant guy. And then to see him on uh, TV, both defending Julian Assange and then uh, attacking Gary Kasparov. I just was like, you know what? I didn't watch the clip. Did he actually attack him or did he challenge him on his views? He, but well, look, he challenged him on his views, but I know where Tucker's been going and I know he's been Putinophilic and they replaced Megyn Kelly with him. I congratulate Tucker because I think he deserves, he's very good at his job and I, I really like him as a person. His show has been great. He's been great. He's been very fun. The interviews are very spirited. It's like one of the better new shows and I enjoy, even when I'm disagreeing with him, I enjoy watching it. But, but, but the, 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 to see a guy who's a conservative in the way that Tucker's a conservative kind of, just backing off of 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 Putin and well, backing I, off. Of I haven't stuff. seen. I, I just, haven't seen. It bothers me. I haven't seen those clips. I, I will say, and I mean, I, again, uh, we, dear Lord, we have been talking about Russia too much. Look, I'm gonna. It's I'm in gonna, the news. Look, Rough. I'm gonna do it. Okay, I'm gonna take the, the, the moderator's prerogative. I'm gonna say the last word on this. Wow, Dude, we I'm, gonna start paying for this. So I'm a little. I'm a little. <laughs> I guess. I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned about the tone of the conversation surrounding the the Russians and the the fear. Um, and the anxieties surrounding the United States and, and the Russians and, and everyone is everyone is fickle. Uh, everyone has changed teams on these issues. Uh, they do it because it is convenient for them. Democrats. I remember uh, when uh, Mitt Romney talked about the Russians as our greatest strategic enemy and uh, Barack Obama. He totally got him by telling them that the 1980s called and they wanted their, their foreign policy back. I, I remember that. So fine. Everybody changes teams. I want to talk about something else. Damn it. Um, it's already been a friggin hour. Well, not quite. I just want to say, by the way, the fear of the Russians is not what the fear of the Russians once was in the 80s, hiding under desks, invasion. It's a different well, fear now. And that's it's good. It's, it's no, basically it's, it's much worse it's, because now, it's, now it's they're basically, actually conducting elections here in the country. There are plenty well, of Democrats it's, who it's, believe that. You now. know, it's for Democrats <laughs> mostly. It's it's the diminishment of American global power. And yeah. I don't think it's we I don't fear IQ. I well, that's <laughs> I mean, that happened with the election of Donald Trump. <laughs> we were actually scared once. Yeah. yeah, we're not actually scared. Not really scared now. No, nah, that, that, I think they're pretty scared. No. Uh, you, have you nope. been to uh, the Fourteenth Street, Street Union uh, Union Square Metro, where the Post-it notes are all over the walls there because people are completely terrified that the United States is slipping into tyranny, that fascism is they're taking over. They're scared about Trump. They're but not in, scared in about just Twitter. a matter, yeah, yeah. But it's the but the world. It's over. It's finished. We're finished. And they're they're scared about Trump because Trump is Putin. Like Putin put him in office. They're afraid. Yeah. Hey, come on. 
It's all. I, it's I think, a scary moment, and to diminish it, I'm, listen. Is, I I think to qualify it is completely appropriate. Qualify it is appropriate, yes. but also like when when uh, an era changes, and we are in the middle of an era changing. It is true. Just like the twenties was a thing, and now the thirties was another thing. Sure. <laughs> I think the the time after the end of the Cold War was a thing, and that thing ended in 2016. We yeah. don't have that anymore. And, and ratcheting up tensions in in ways that I think. Are, are not helpful and likely make us all more unsafe um, is, is a concern of mine. You're right. So Putin so should stop so invading countries. That's, Fuck the Russians. Okay, good. <laughs> he, Thank he, you. He should, indeed. Um, can we talk about this, uh, this crazy thing that happened? Because this is another, this is another um, sort of situation in which people seem to be changing roles. Uh, we have these four kids who kidnap um a young disabled man yeah. uh in chicago and take him back to their apartment sure and bound him and cut him with uh, razors and torture him and of course because they are brilliant geniuses they stream it on friggin facebook um and while they are torturing him <laughs> these four how many concurrents do they have uh they, they did pretty well yeah, yeah got a lot of clicks oh, yeah cool. four four black youths uh, two two males and two 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 females, um, and one white young man. Uh, and as they are torturing him, they are screaming "fuck white people, fuck mm-hmm. Donald Trump." Mm-hmm. Um, and when they are finally apprehended, and when the video comes out, uh, a lot of the conversation is about "is this a hate crime?" Um, and uh, Tommy Lar- Tommy Tommy Lauren 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 Lauren. Who cares? Oh, that, that's the Formula yeah. One driver. Who cares? Yeah, I'm yeah. a little drunk. Yeah. Um, Tommy but, but Larkin, Tommy, the drummer is, for Jonathan Richmond. Tommy's very upset, and she's know. she's out, and she's screaming for the president <laughs> to condemn to condemn these young yeah, people because sure. he did, he doesn't do it quickly enough. Yeah, and if yeah. it was uh, if it was a black kid, if it was Trayvon Martin, he would be out talking about how it, if it was his son, he would look a lot like him. Right wing piece. Um, I. Uh, I don't know. I, I saw this happen. This is obviously like sad. It's awful. It is despicable. It's terrible that yeah. people would do something like this. Um, but I, I find myself similarly um, in, in the same way that I get agitated when I see Black Lives Matter um, folks take perhaps a genuine tragedy or just something kind of awful that happened but we don't quite understand yet and turn this anecdote into – an ex- the shining example, the beacon of everything that's wrong with America. Are you saying this is not a BLM kidnapping? I would. Yeah, that is precisely <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying that is the BLM kidnapping is what? is Did, such a stupid and idiotic but, narrative. But, but, and if you can't recognize that by trying to turn this into that. You're doing exactly how, the same thing those people do. But how did they do that? I Here's just the don't question. understand. Were these people, uh, were they just the B in the BLM? <laughs> or did they have any association with any political? I Zero. Mean, somebody said, fuck Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're they're just. Well, also, they scream, they scream, fuck white people. And I think the sen- the sentiment here is I don't know if that they BLM do- does that. Well, yeah, they don't. They don't. Um, not, 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 not routinely. Not, not that enough. I've seen. Um, I think they're they're more likely to say they're more likely to call me a uh, a, a token or, or yeah. something Uncle like Tom that. Uncle Tom is actually yeah yeah Uncle Tom. I get that. What's too. the other and one? A coon. Coon. No, but there's another one outdated. too. No, it's just those three mostly. No, there was another one. Oh, House nigger. No, you just wanted me to no, say. No, that's what I call you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I would never say that word. Are we going to talk about the Navy or not? Yeah, uh, we, uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll, yeah, we'll get there in a second. But yeah, no, it's really strange with this is that we have to politicize it because 
somebody says something and what it is is the right in these people like uh, Tommy Larkin or Tommy Lauren or the hell her name is <laughs> she, uh, who is like a, Nicole Laura I don't know it's like somebody takes her out of the baby born and puts her in front of a microphone and, she's like, hey! and everyone's like oh my god she's so brilliant um, which is like this is the intellectual heft of uh, you've know, gone from firing line to 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 this like 23 year old uh, girl heavy breathing into a microphone but she <laughs> what she like th- if she's I haven't seen her thing so I should get I should cut her bit of slack no you don't have to it's no but i mean she's a moron either way but but <laughs> but here's here's what here's what i think the problem is with this is that is that the, the the right has really internalized this kind of narrative this kind of thing about hate crimes my thing about hate crimes is they don't we should never even consider such a thing because as a as a legal classification they're stupid mm-hmm. as a kind of moral classification they're fine we should like i mean we can talk about somebody's motivation in you know killing black people in a church in charleston south carolina because this is somebody whose whose ideology has driven them to being a, or wanting to be a kind of genocide dare wanting to kill all black that is something we should absolutely talk about in the in the we, we as a, what type of crime it is if i punch you in the face Mm-hmm. And I punch you in the face because I don't like you to cut me off in your car or because I don't like you because you are sort of, you know, Albanian or something that should have no bearing on the crime itself, which is punching you in the face. Let's be clear about this. Yeah. Michael Moynihan, I've seen him drive. Sure. <laughs> yeah. He is going to punch you in the face. Oh, my God. Yeah. For not even the way that you drove, but yeah. the way that he drove. I think and Alex that, Jones would tell me to calm down in a car. And that you reacted to his yeah. driving. Yeah. And so what he's saying here is that <laughs> when he punches you in the face. Yeah. Through your like window. Yeah, sure. Um, he doesn't want there to be any aggravation. I don't want an, I don't want an extra charge. But yeah, I'm going to charge I, you I, because I once, you're Albanian or whatever. Yeah, I once parked my car <laughs> across the street in Soho. Because a cab driver is trying to pass me in like the like just like going up to the sidewalk, you know how cab drivers do that. And so I got up to the stoplight and I pulled my car where it was perpendicular with park, parked cars and just and just kept it there. Oh, you asshole! <laughs> I just kept you that I got out of the car. Terrible! And I was terrible like, asshole. and I was like, and I was just like shouting at the guy. I was like, "You want to fucking, you want to do this? You want to fucking play?" And so we just sat there for a long time. Yeah, try that in Chicago. And it was great. No, I know that I'd be kidnapped and fucking live streamed as yeah. people cut me into pieces. You know, like, but the thing about this is that stop is a hate crime. Hate crime. It's like if they can shout whatever they want when they do this. You see the mugshots of these people. Did you see the mugshot no, of fucking Copernicus no, from Chicago? Not, not who nice. was like had his head cocked back yeah, and yeah. drooling out? I not don't nice. think this guy has a lot of thoughts nice. about politics. Not nice. I think these people are bad people. They're people that grow up in a culture in Chicago in which there's like ninety five thousand murders a year. These are not people that are really look. I think that the maybe uh, you know screw the white people kind of thing. I don't like that that's become normalized in culture and the fact that like we can like and that, and that sneer is, about it. So and that much. is perhaps worth talking about. Yes. But, it's, but, it, but, but I don't want to talk about it in the context of an outlier circumstance sure. like this, which is the which is the problem with taking these anecdotes and elevating them to the point where they become like the watershed moment. This is the quintessential example of of what Black Lives Matter thinks about America or what Black Lives Matter has done to America. I am endlessly critical of Black Lives Matter on any number of things. Too much. I don't feel the need. You you may think so, but yeah. but I sometimes think not enough. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that trying to go after them <laughs> on the 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 sort of worst possible thing 
but with the sort of flimsiest connection to them. But what is, is, is the, the best connection? actor? I don't get the, is, there is no, that. What is the, the connection? The connection is, is it's, nothing. It's Gabby Giffords. It's just, it's black Sarah folks. Palin. It's they're, like, they're, uh, they're both black. They both dislike Trump. And the, the, the argument here is that, that black lives matter and perhaps, and by extent, and the president as well have created a climate in which things like this are more likely to happen. That race relations are worse than they've ever been, despite the fact, and this is actually worth talking about at the end of eight years oh of a transformative presidency, a president who was supposed to bring us together, who gave that great speech on blackness and race while he was running for president. Wow, he's really going to help us to understand these issues. He could mediate for us. But now we are worse than ever before um, is the is the narrative. There is no doubt that people are are sort of excited and that there are there are active conversations happening about racial issues. There is no doubt that there are certain communities that may feel extremely isolated right now. But that feeling of of isolation, that feeling of of being under attack, um, feeling something and having the facts actually be consistent with that feeling are not necessarily the well, same. Let me thing. ask you feeling. Kind of, by the way, it's kind of giving these kids a lot of credit that they're like, I mean, if you look at them, these knuckleheads and these photos and you look at the, the you, you read about their background, it's like, you know, it's this it's it's this moment right now which is emboldening them. It's like, yeah, I'm sure they're on Twitter all day. Uh, you know, like well, uh, might, following. They, no. And they might be right no i don't think but, they but are. at the end of the day i don't really don't think they but, are but it's the transference of culpability that is that is an issue here and i someone asked me about this on twitter and i i used that phrase that that transferring culpability to other people is sure. a, is a weird business like you don't actually want to traffic in that and and honestly it's the same shit that i'm always saying when i talk about like tanisi coates and the rest of these folks who talk about like whiteness and white supremacy and the guilt of america it, it, i don't know how you do that I don't know how you take victimhood and pass it down forever. At the end of the day, these these four people did this heinous thing. They are responsible for it. Sure. Um, and whatever else might be happening in the zeitgeist at the moment, they own that. Fortunately for all of us, and as a condemnation to anyone who is suggesting otherwise, this isn't happening all over America. No, not at all. This, this doesn't not, happen this does routinely, happen. which is why it's news. And, and, the, and this kind of – this sort of talking point that is, it might have been spurred by the kind of current culture and this the way Completely we talk about asinine. things. You know, if you – you should watch – and I've said this on the show um, a couple of times at Colin Quinn's uh, new special New York Story. There's a great bit where he's talking about riding the bus in the 70s in Park Slope and the driver who is – like a black guy who he used to screw with him all the time and the guy like hated white people and he used to call him a white devil and he's get in the back of the bus white <laughs> devil and then I think of like the 80s and I think of like you know Farrakhan rallies and stuff to think that this well he's talking about white people he's talking about well fuck you white people that this has not been a constant in certain communities for a very long time absolutely that 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 it was like a, you know the current climate that Obama stood up it's like no I mean to blame People who in if you're if you're in a very poor neighborhood in Chicago, if you blame people who you just visually see, and this doesn't make a lot of sense, but you're a young kid, you visually see they're doing better. Yeah. To say screw those people is kind of as old as time. And it doesn't need a particular environment to make somebody who is, you know, gonna do something that is so hideous and so savage and so cutting people and doing this all online. You don't need a climate for that. You need bad people for that. I remember uh, at the outset of the Obama era, even before he was president, I think, 
I was editor of a magazine called Reason. It's a very, Never heard of it. <laughs> very good magazine, and it looks phenomenal uh, these days. It does. Now that I'm no longer editing it, it's weird. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, Michael Moynihan back then was writing for the magazine and wrote yeah. this very interesting piece. Um, we've talked about it maybe here, but certainly elsewhere before, um, about – how the rise of Obama back in era 2007 and 2008 maybe marks a watershed in the way that we talk about race. And it was a very hopeful piece. Yeah, Uh, yeah, actually, uh, it's it's, it's super interesting of like, uh, and I don't know whose books you were looking at. It might have been McWhorter, it might have been some other guys. No, it was a book called The Race Card Uh um, by a guy at Stanford University. And there was a second book called Racial Paranoia. um, Mm -hmm. And I don't remember the guy who wrote that. And your your overlying kind of thing was that um, we are now in a more blessed and interesting era of complexity where there isn't a – it's not about black and white. It's it's a lot more interesting uh, kind of conversations and maybe we can get beyond the kinds of conversations that we've had up until now. And and, and I I totally believe in that story and I believe in the the authenticity of the take and it was a thousand percent wrong. Like as a a forward-looking thing. I call that though. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, look, I I have to go back and read that and – um, But I'm curious. I'm sure there's hedges in it. (laughs) I'm sure, but like – it's okay yeah. to be wrong. How do you? Okay. Uh, yeah. And and this is to both of you because yeah. you each have a different take on this, I'm sure. But like, how do you assess kind of both an overall take and then the responsibility for the climate, if there can be such a thing, mm. for what's happened since? Because I've been shocked about the turn in the way that we talk about race in the last eight years. Just shocked, actually. I uh-huh. think th- I think the one big thing that I didn't uh, consider was that. Um, there, it's all about timing and about technology. And I think that the technological aspect of this is allowing 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds who just come out of this madness of universities mm. where they're writing for college papers and everything is about race, class, and gender. God, you're and, such an old man. And I am. And then they come into this world where all of a sudden they're writing for big websites and they have big audiences. And we talk about it on this show. We talk about it. And you, you, you dig a little deeper when you're not talking about it. And you realize the person who wrote that thing for New York Magazine, for Jezebel, for whatever – is some 23-year-old who just graduated from Barnard or Hampshire College, and they're racializing everything yeah. because that's the language that they speak in universities. And I didn't, I didn't really anticipate that the tone of the conversation would be set by the internet, would be set by Twitter, would be set by these people who have a very particular kind of ideological goal that I, I didn't see in 2007. Does that explain the MSNBC? Does that explain like Salon.com, New Republic, these places that had a pre-existing, I would say, interesting journalistic point sure. of view who went totally in on well, this they, stuff? They chased it. I mean, they, they, chased, they chased the rabbit. And clearly, this was working. There are people in the streets. They are, they are excited. They are, are up in arms about this. Streets, they that's, are, uh, that's they code are moral, word, right? moral crusaders. No, no. Literally, they are standing in the middle of the street, which is <laughs> yeah, obstructing traffic. Actually. That's like their whole thing. Um, and I, interestingly, I, I agree with most of that. The reason I was never optimistic about the president's prospects to be a racial healer is you because hate black people. yeah, no, it's not that actually. It's because I I saw fairly early on, and and the first thing that really stood out to me, not the Reverend Jeremiah Wright Association, although I understand churches like that particularly well. Um, is when someone asked him, someone stood up and asked him, uh, how do you self-identify? Because I've had friends who tell me that you're black. And I say, no, no, he does. He's, he's not a black guy. He has a black um, father and a white mother. He's something else. And he said, no, no, no. Hey, hey, 
I am I am African American. I am proud to be African American. He is is Obama here. This is this is Barack Obama yeah. talking on the campaign trail, and I want I want people to know that this is this is when this was around the time and just just sort of after as it was starting to wane when people were extremely critical of the president, particularly black voters, many of whom were supporting Hillary Clinton at the time because he wasn't black, black enough. enough. Yeah, which, he wasn't, which he was wasn't the right of, uh, kind of black. Uh, yeah. Listen, too. had the president been the yeah. kind of sort of courageous, that, yeah. courageous human who was not a, a racialist, who was not a prisoner to that particular paradigm and way of viewing the world, not someone who desperately wanted to be a part of that universe and did whatever it took to sort of affiliate him Himself with people who talked about race in this antiquated and gross and crude way that we that we are so accustomed to, um, then I might have had some hope. But he is a prisoner to it himself. He is in it. He is a part of it. When he talked, to, when he gave his great speech on race, he referred to his grandmother as like a typical white person. I don't even know what that means. Like this is this is the you. One has to be able to elevate themselves above sort of conversations about race that are sort of narrowly tribalistic and that ascribe to everyone who looks a particular way a specific set of um, sort of uh, identify identity um, attributes. Gosh, we are so trashed. This is the weirdest <laughs> age we've ever had. We know. Well, um, it's but, not but this is but that's I'm just saying I saw those particular things and it it made it pretty obvious to me that he was he's not the guy to sort of help Americans understand race but in a then, different way. But then, I think you're both missing something yeah. that, that I Don't should you have dare. said. I should have said like in the in the uh, <laughs> sort of technology element of this. It is um it I don't know how to phrase it. it's white fear. And the and the fear is right now is like I'll just be totally frank with you, I wouldn't write a piece about race right now if you paid me anything less than twenty five thousand dollars. It's not worth it because if twenty five thousand is enough you, to lose your job over. Exactly, that's right. <laughs> I make more than that. It's not worth it because if you push back on some of these things, it to, to even say that some of these like you know like Oscars so white. If you were to say that's stupid. And here's why which, it's stupid. Which it is. Camille said that. Camille said that. Camille, said Camille said, not Michael Moynihan. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. Yeah, but if him. you were, to, if you were, to, I'm not making that argument because I want you to make that, not me. Because <laughs> I value my future. If if I were to make that argument, just to make that argument based on it, like Camille did a did a, a kind of tabulation of why that wasn't actually true, I would never publicly say that. I just wouldn't do it because it's not worth it. Would I have done that in 2007 and eight, where my sort of career was in front of me? Of course I would have. Mm -hmm. The difference now is the lynch mob. The I probably shouldn't say that. No, should I? Um, I would say I the the internet mob <laughs> is what I'm talking about. Yes. The mob that comes out. For I thought you, you were talking about Ice Ice Cube's rap group. Yeah, which I Ice know you're Cube a fan and of. the lynch mob. Oh, Jack yeah. and for beats. Oh. Uh, I actually like that record a lot. But <laughs> they would come out for you in a way. Like I'll give you an example. Steve Martin the other day says this thing I talked about the show. Makes a, a stupid tweet. I think he closed out his Twitter account, but it's like there's no point in when you say something can be taken out of context. Nobody cares about your intent. And it is just this hooliganism that is out there to try to punish people for having the wrong views on things. I'm just not willing to take that risk, which is why I think that the, 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 the narrative about this these days is kind of lopsided because there's not a lot of people that are willing to go out there. And say that you know what I think that you're wrong about this. Yeah. And if you do say if you do say they're wrong about it, you really have to hedge the shit out of it. You have to make sure you're larding it with things that you probably actually believe. And in my case, that's usually true. But I just want to make sure people don't un misunderstand me, because the second you go out with something, look, I mean, look, John Chait 
I mean, this guy's a, you know, a Matt, rock. Matt will be debating in a yeah. couple of weeks. January 17th, Soho Forum. Come to New York City. Come to New York, Soho Forum to see Matt de- debate John Chade. And Camille's doing a Soho Forum in like uh, April or March or something. Yeah, right? yeah that's going to be a, a blow. Who, who are you debating? I, I don't remember his name. Oh, man. Oh, you say, yeah, 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 yeah. Show me that. Hashtag it be begins. Great. It begins. It's going to be great. I mean, uh, just, just a just slaughterhouse 29. Just wow, crazy! That's like that's just, like just like more than five. So wasted. He's everywhere. He's so wasted. He's just, like, just, he's a lot more than five. I mean, Slaughterhouse Twenty Nine. I'm going to wear very I'm famous wear paint. Uh, Bob Vonnegut, Kurt Vonnegut's cousin, who wrote Slaughterhouse Twenty Nine, didn't do as well. But look at Chate wrote this thing about PC, and look what happened to him. He wrote a piece about political correctness and how it's killing liberalism, and it's a bad thing for liberalism. And he just he he still doesn't live it. People just I mean, it's a great, yeah, it's actually yeah. a very good piece of writing. And still, it's like why it's so obvious that it's dumb to have X, Y, and Z these things that happen in university campuses taking portraits off a wall and replacing them with you know some poet nobody's ever heard of who has the right identity. <laughs> but like this stuff seems obvious to people. And like now. Good God. I'll tell you what. We did a story on the, 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 the show the other day about these racial indulgences where you buy a box. Uh, you subscribe to this thing. It's like uh-huh. you spend safe, like safety pin box, safety pin box, like 25 to $100 a month. You could pay to subscribe and they will send you a box. And there's all sorts of useless shit inside of the box, what? including these long instructions on things that you can do in your own life as a white person to atone for the fact that you are white. And to essentially make your life slightly shittier so you can understand what it's like to be black in America. Now, people pay thousands of dollars for this. I am am routinely told that that I am black in America. And I have to tell you, it apparently is pretty damn spectacular. If you bought a box for $100 and it made you feel like me every day, that would be an extraordinary value. I would love to feel like you. So if I spent $100, I'd feel like I should actually start this business right now. (laughs) Thousands? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just in one of the accounts. I understand. I mean, you'd have new footwear. Hundreds of thousands? (laughs) I was was next to this motherfucker in the the, uh, offices of uh, Fox uh, uh, News, whatever it's called, for a couple of years. And like every day, he would walk in with those like bags that only women hold. Yeah. What? Yeah. Like shopping things. <laughs> what? I, I said, yeah, but I have no idea what you're talking what about. What are you talking like, about? Like, shopping bags? You know, like, like you a know, shopping bag with like clothes it, in it? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, like no, like no. like the the wives in uh, Dallas would always be. Oh, like a Louis Vuitton bag. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was always coming in with like new, incredible yeah. stuff. Yeah, and at some point, I, I got Full jealous. Well, we had CDs. we had a very generous we had a very generous wardrobe budget. I spent it in very effective ways. <laughs> I had to help Matt spend his. This is yeah. totally true. Um, what, we, to get to get more thick suits. purple ties. No, no, we went yeah. and got some tailored suits. No, it's and like every time and... I turn on the Independence, I was like, oh, there's Camille and fucking Willy Wonka. He looks like Gene. Wilder with purple outfits. Camille tried Jesus so Christ. hard. He tried so hard. No, Matt, you, yeah. you did. You did good. Yeah. I'm better did, than I used there was some, yeah, there the, was the things, things that stopped in the 1990s was the development of your music taste and your wardrobe. <laughs> That's fine. You know what? I think we should go. We have to stop this. We do. This like, it's, it's, it's Friday night and we're drunk. Honestly, shout out to the, Gilmore though. Shout out to Gilmore. Yeah, the Gilmore wardrobe. Was a wardrobe, uh, about wardrobe so. and, he, and he still listens to the uh, fifth column whenever we post this. And really? Oh, good. Okay. He talks yeah. about Moynihan being the oh, Hollywood good. vampire yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, the cocaine yeah, and the hookers and stuff. Yeah, sure. And uh, talks about how Camille is so badly dressed on the on the, uh, that the is podcast. Not, he That's does you. not do that. That's you. That would be a mistake. All right, well, let's let's get out of here and we'll do this. Well, yeah. Next well, week. thank you for sending um, alcohol. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. We uh, didn't do bit of a bit of a mess this week. Do you you have to say something about some idiot? 
God damn it, that piece in the New York Times this morning about ambassadors, how it's a terrible thing that Donald Trump is going to make it so that the politically appointed ambassadors, which is about one third of the 180 or so ambassadors who are usually huge donors and bundlers and idiots for the most Mm -hmm. part, part. smart people, smart people who are idiots, um, have to end their terms when – Inauguration Day comes, which is actually what they have to do more or less by law and tradition. But they have no waivers this year to help those who have kids in school and this kind of stuff, which departs from previous policy. This was portrayed as a guillotine, as a sharp and worrisome anxiety inducing break and all these kind of things. It's going to affect 10 families. Yeah. Ten. Ten influential. Ten. Wealthy Ten families. families. Do you know how many families a day are affected in the military from having to pick up whatever the hell that they're doing and leave in the middle of a school year and go yeah. from we spot in Germany to Annapolis, Maryland or whatever the fuck? By the way, the families of ambassadors are usually returned to penury and <laughs> live usually, I mean, just typically live in like the worst parts of Oakland. Just teeth they all scraping come from Oakland. on that's the, not the, bad that's not the bad parts of Oakland, not, not not, not the good parts. But by the way, Matt, I know you like to point out that that, that piece because, you know, they're making uh, Trump look bad. I just I feel like I'm doing a podcast with my friend uh, uh, Camille Foster, who is not black, and my friend Roger Stone, who is. Thank you. You look like you're the Roger Stone. Of Thank this. you. I, I need to get more like striped colored. Uh, yeah. Shirts. <laughs> oh, God. That's a good ending point. You know Thank what? You. you know what? We didn't do like a special New Year's holiday show. This is that show. <laughs> That's this right. is that one. That's right. Um, this was uh, this was fun. This was great. Matt, take us out. Um, oh my god! <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the fifth column. Uh, next week will perhaps be a little more orderly. Maybe we'll we'll get back to business. Maybe. Um, but we're done. See you later. Bye. We, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column.